And welcome to For What It's Earth podcast, your favourite fun little environment, climate change and sustainability podcast, where we make big issues bite size and we try and figure out what on earth each of us can do to try and fix them. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week um, we're talking about water scarcity. So as the old poem goes, water, water everywhere, but not as much a drink as you might think. Um, I came up with that one myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think you tweaked that one a little bit there. <laughs> oh, I did. I did. Um, it's, it's called ad-libbing. I've, I've, I've been trained. Um, it's mentor. called creative license. It's you called know. creative license. Uh, so we're talking about water scarcity. Um, it's something that perhaps doesn't jump into people's minds so quickly when you're talking about environmental problems. Um, and yet when we started researching this, we realised how much there is to delve into we sort of feel like we've uh, barely scraped the icy surface of fathoms of there are fathoms of things to think fathoms. about when it comes to That's did you like that i can't remember the last time i've heard someone use the word fathoms <laughs> i thought you know it's a slightly water related term that i could weave in off the top and of my head it sounds so intelligent and sciencey <laughs> <laughs> so before we get too stuck in uh all the views and opinions that we express in this podcast are our own they're not anything to do with anyone that we work for or anybody we might be associated with gosh that makes us sound a bit professional doesn't it yeah i know mm. we're, we're in the big time we've got disclaimers <laughs> so let's dive in um with our first fun little segment lloyd what one good thing have you done this week um it's actually directly well, not just directly related to what we're talking about this week, but inspired by the research I was doing. Um, so you'll probably hear more about why I've been doing this later on. But basically, I've been trying to cut down my showers. So if anyone ever so wants to... you stink? Is that what you're telling me? I... No, I, I, I don't... I I'm, smell so clean, I need to cut down on my showers. As in, like, I need to reduce mm. the amount of time I'm in the shower. Because I have a habit of getting up in the morning and just sort of standing under the hot water, like desperate not to start my day <laughs> so what i've been trying to do is take a timer next to the shower and time four minutes oh surprisingly difficult especially when you're dealing with like existential crises and you're just you know staring into the void of the shower but i won't get into that too much but i'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry but if you could keep your breakdown to under four minutes the world would appreciate it lloyd we'll just Boot it to some bonus content after the episode. Oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to cut down my showers. Uh, if anyone ever watched like Sesame Street in like the 90s, um, <laughs> like cutting down on water usage, like when you're brushing your teeth and stuff, was yeah seemed to crop up a lot in kids shows. Um, but not anything people really talk about so much anymore. No, so, it yeah, feels be- like it's dropped off the map a little bit, doesn't it? It really has. And like as I said, because of the research, you'll hear more about it later. I've decided to uh, try and cut down my showers at least for a little bit to see. How much water I can save, basically. Well done. That's a really good one. One good thing. Thank you so much. What about yourself? Uh, Mine's not related to this episode. Mine is a throwback to one of our earliest episodes, I think. One of our episodes on fast fashion. So uh, I've got three weddings to attend this year. and Popular. Well done. Lord knows I hate shopping. Um, So I've actually found my first wedding outfit of the year absurdly early i'm never this good but it's because i've just downloaded depop the app where you can I've buy reused clothes 
It's brilliant. It's like it's a much so friendlier good. eBay, right? It is because you can actually nice. buy the stuff when it's there. You don't have to like get into some stressful bidding war at the end. Absolutely. And you can message people and they're really friendly. And I was literally just having a browse um, to see what it was all about because I think Roxy Furman on one of our other podcasts recommended it and loads of people I've spoken to swear by it. And I thought, well, I'll see what it's all about. So anyway, had a little browse. That turned into me buying a really fabulous jumpsuit that I'm going to wear to one of these weddings, which is normally £200 down to like 45 It's only been worn once. It's brilliant. I'm reducing, reusing and recycling someone Amazing. else's outfit for my outfit it's I'm so really i've been pleased. stalking all the patagonia stuff on there just like slowly deciding which one i'm gonna go for oh that's a good idea that's a mm. very good idea so yeah that's that's my one it's much easier than going to every charity shop in town that's far it is too it's much all in one place and actually most of the sellers on there are vintage clothing shops who sort of know what they're doing in terms of quality and condition yeah. being good good stuff yeah amazing right let's crack on with the topic shall we should we start with some some fun facts Always. Always fun facts. Okie dokie. Um, let's talk about water in general then to start with. So, 75% of the Earth's surface is water, and only 2.5% of that is fresh water. This is where things start to get a little dicey. Of that 2.5%, 70% of it is ice, 30% of it is groundwater, and only 1% is actually readily available for us to use. So that's 1%. Of the fresh water, and that fresh yeah. water was itself 2.5% of all the water. Yes. So we're going to zoom in another layer now. We're going to really another layer into the, the 1%. Into, into this 1%. Of this 1%, 70% of it is used for agriculture, 22% for manufacturing, and that leaves just 8% for domestic use. So of the entirety of all the world's water, only 0.008% of the world's water is actually available for us to use domestically. That's Absurd, terrifying, right? but also frames quite nicely why we're doing this episode. <laughs> we're here to fix it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was reading that 1.1 um, billion people lack access to water. Um, 2.7 billion find water scarce for at least a month. Um, oh, wow. And so this article I found um, says by 2025, so not very far um no. two-thirds of all population um might face water shortages yeah and we might feel a little bit distant from that in the uk a lot of us kind of assume that water scarcity is a problem for elsewhere in the world especially when we live on one of the rainiest islands going um but actually the environment agency has said that in 25 years if we go on the way we're going the uk will not be able to meet its own water demand Fantastic. It's quite easy, isn't it, to think of like um, water shortages as being something that's the problem of Africa or Australia. Or just yeah, really arid climates. Far places that aren't that relevant to us. But not only is it going to affect us, and it actually is affecting us, because think of the number of hosepipe bans we've had over the years. True, Which yes. are only set to get worse, and heat waves. But also the fact that if you get water shortages in these places, a lot of our food comes from these places. Mm. That's if you're looking from a very selfish UK point of view. That's true. That's true. But we should be panicking about it. Or maybe not panicking just yet, but we should be actioning it. And you you know, you know a problem's bad when the head of someone like the Environment Agency sounds off. And Sir James Bevan, chief exec of the Environment Agency, gave probably my favourite quote that I've seen in a newspaper all probably ever last year. He said that he wants to see wasting water become as socially unacceptable as blowing smoke in the face of a baby. <laughs> what an image. I... I mean, I can attest to that. I get 
bad. I get really grumpy looks whenever I do that. Well, you know, I want the you to picture not happy, those poor the babies aren't happy. and blowing smoke in their faces next time you're considering having a 25-minute existential crisis in a shower, Lloyd. <laughs> oh, I felt personally attacked. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But I just thought that was such an incredibly vivid image. Exactly. It's a fair enough statement uh, or sentiment because, as we're saying, I mean, I sort of we knew that water's, you know, pressure resource, but I sort of forgotten until we started doing this research. I'd forgotten again how fragile it is in terms of mm. the fact that we everywhere are responsible for protecting it and we can abuse it like we can everything else. Cause it just seems so plentiful, especially in yeah. where I am in Wales, where it rains all the time. So we're talking about um, water scarcity. So water scarcity, um, if you're looking for a definition, if you're one of those people, um, it's either the lack yes. of enough water, so that's quantity, or you can be talking about quality, so the lack of access to safe water, so whether that water's been polluted or is otherwise just not very nice to drink. Mm. Um, and global population growth as well, as well as the way that we consume water. Both those two things are putting such a strain on any source of water, be that polluted or not polluted. It's mad. Precisely. I mean, um, I don't know if you ever heard about uh, the story of Cape Town. No. I think it's quite a nice... Well, I say nice. Um, it's quite a neat little captures all the story for the way the water crisis, crisis might pan out for a lot of places. So Cape Town, um, back in 2017, uh, was severely running out of water. And it's still not great. But in 2017 especially, it was uh, the, the uh, reservoirs were really running low. So the government there in South Africa and, and Cape Town announced um, something called a day zero clock. All right. So day zero was going to be when the dam levels in and around Cape Town would be so low that people would need to start using communal collection points and not and won't be able to turn their taps on at all. So Gosh. effectively, no water for anyone apart from severely rationed. So they restricted water usage to 50 litres per person per day. Mm-hmm. So that might sound like a lot, but... The average U.S. citizen, I found a little stat for. Uh, mm. So if you're in the U.S., your average water usage per person per day is 375 litres. But the people of Cape Town were restricted to 50 each. Bloody hell, that's a lot. In the U.K., yeah. it's 150 litres, and I thought that was bad enough. Yeah, I mean, well, either way, 50 litres is nothing. But um, you might think, oh, I can get away with 50 litres a day, like I don't drink that much. But when you think you need the water to uh, wash your clothes, probably make your dinner quite often, mm. especially in uh, perhaps poorer communities, um, to flush your toilet, to shower in, and plenty of other things besides. Like you couldn't really wash your car, not that that's the high priority. Um, <laughs> I don't do that on the daily. In fact, I don't think I've ever washed my car. <laughs> He's just driving straight <laughs> through the rain. Uh, the rain is nature's car wash. <laughs> so residents in Cape Town started, they started showering over buckets, they started recycling their washing machine water, and uh-huh. they started limiting their flushes as well. So the phrase, uh, if it's yellow, let it mellow, was bandied around a lot, um, which is good and advice. And if it's brown, anyway. flush it down. If it's brown, flush it down. Well, I'm not sure what their solution was to that, whether they did. Um but it worked, so it not only increased public awareness of water usage at a critical time, but it mm. uh, reduced uh, water usage in Cape Town by about 100 million litres within the year. Wow. So it had a big effect. That's incredible. And yeah, they were, they were up to avoid day zero, partly because I think uh, 
the droughts started to end as well. So they got quite lucky in some regards. But um, it's an example of how people can make the changes they need to when they're actually aware of the problems. Um, mm. But it's not necessarily all rosy because uh, so farming practices were severely reduced and in the drought-affected areas, something like a quarter of the farmland in those areas uh, was just pretty much abandoned and like tens of thousands of jobs were lost. So oh God. it's still almost reactive, the measures that were put in place. So it's mm. that typical thing of like no one listens when the dams are, or the, when the reservoirs are running high. Yeah. It's only when it's too low that it becomes a real problem. Well, a place called Chennai in India last year actually did reach what was day zero. Um, the taps did run dry and they did have to ration water and people would queue up for three, four hours just to get one or two buckets of water per day. Um, so a lot of the research that's been going on in the last kind of year has been looking at how on earth massive cities like this can run out of water and what on earth they can do to be able to stop that happening again or prevent that happening to such an extreme yeah. event yeah it happens around the world like you said so california um we you might have seen in the news in the last couple of years they've been struggling with drought i think the drought ended last year officially i did it oh. uh, but water levels uh, are still pretty low um all of these examples for each event that's happened in these cases there have been a number of different factors that have caused it and and made these situations worse. It's not just that the rains didn't come or the rains didn't come as much as they normally would, as is one of the things that did happen in Chennai. Um, But there's also issues of land management and water management, particularly in the States and land ownership of of places with water. And then, so for example, if we're talking about big companies and we're going to throw some big companies under the bus, which we love doing on this podcast. Might Nestle be one of them? <laughs> Nestle and Coca-Cola. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> um, two big corporations who have been known to purchase land uh, because that land sits on a water resource, um, funneling off that water resource uh, into their own factories, into their own industry um, and massively reducing how much of that water can then reach the communities that are reliant on it downstream yeah. and have been reliant on it for years and years. Um, they turn it into a commodity and then they monetize it and then they can sell it back to the communities for profit. And I just think that is absolutely disgusting. It is a basic human it right is. to have water and to divert nature like that. That is, I, I can't, I can't get my head around somebody saying, yes, that's fine. Yeah. If, if, if anyone needed another reason to ditch buying water and plastic bottles there you go yeah it's, it's, it's been taken from a local resource somewhere like not necessarily all bottled water is taken from an area that's necessarily stopping it getting somewhere else stopping to other it, communities. but it's still um yeah. th- th- it's still like worldwide these companies um certainly aren't helping let's say um so i i think um for example right this, so I think a lot of communities worldwide are starting to take notice of this. So I think there's uproar in Australia, about bottling companies there. Mm. And Washington in the United States is becoming the first state to move towards uh, re- severely restricting these practices. Because oh, having great. such devastating effects, like you say, on re- uh, creeks and riverbeds. Mm. Um, but as you say, um, management is actually um, quite a big cause, especially when you start, as you say, start treating it like a commodity. Mm. Um, so I was reading that... California, um, who had several years of drought, very severe drought, and actually for the last probably century has um, been struggling, a century at least has been struggling with drought on and off. So they 
rely quite heavily on underground aquifers as well. Mm-hmm. So not just the above ground water bottling, uh, water uh, management. So anything above ground would normally be uh, divvied up to uh, local people and uh, industry and agriculture, and they'd get a fair share. But uh, for quite a long time in California, I think until about 2014, 2015, when they started passing a law, people could, as long as you had land over and over the aquifer, you're allowed to drill straight in and take as much as you want without um, without restriction so what happened is that the aquifers started being drained a lot of smaller uh, farm holders uh, just pulled up sand they didn't have any more water it was receding and then also it made it worse because the ground started sinking compacting the soil so there was less room for more water to build up anyway oh a vicious cycle so So again it's a case of reacting too late perhaps for what is arguably our number one resource on the planet really Absolutely. As humans, I was reading earlier, we can't go past about 100 hours without water. That's actually yeah. not very long. This is, yeah, this is something that go about 10 has to be a priority water. when we're looking at sorting out nature and sorting out how we react to and the relationship we have with nature. This absolutely needs to be something that we're considering. Yeah, and while we're talking about um, management, I think, uh, unfortunately, you, can't, you can never escape the effect of consumerism. No and industry. So you were talking about uh, you mentioned like Nestle and Coca Cola. So I pulled a little thing from a National Geographic article. So it's saying like in a single soda, so a single, uh, for example, cola bottle. Mm. Um, if you're using natural sweetener, you've got to grow the natural sweetener. That's thirty liters of water. If you're oh, growing gosh. coffee beans for the caffeine in it, that's fifty-three liters of water. If you're pro- processing the flavoring that goes in it, eighty liters of water. Then you've got the plastic bottles and the manufacturing, so at least another 12 litres. So you're probably looking at, for one bottle, 175 litres in its lifetime. That's... I I can't quite... Do you remember it's back mad, in the it? day we talked about trying to visualise water? I mean, how many bathtubs is that? That is too many. Many bathtubs. So that's, that's too much water to be going into one can of Coke that's going to rot your insides anyway. Um, so we were talking about Cape Town earlier. Um... The Cape Town region exported, oh, what's the number here? Good hard numbers. 428 uh, million litres of wine in a year. I'm pretty wow. sure that's for a year. Um, Sorry about that. But one, yes, that was coming straight to your door, was it? Just me, yeah. Uh, <laughs> one 125 millilitre glass uh, would take about 26 to 53 gallons of water to grow and process the grapes. Oh, now, no. when you're growing those grapes, apparently a lot of it gets lost to evaporation. So you're not necessarily using any more of that for any other reasons yeah and you might say oh it's okay it's evaporating it's coming back in the water cycle but there's no guarantee that it's gonna land back in the same yeah region country no you know, anywhere oh god now i have to rethink my wine practices it's difficult isn't it it all comes into the general too mm. much of uh, anything it's a bad thing well it's interesting you're talking about crops and things there as well um i mean wine a crop um because agriculture is one of the biggest problems that water as a resource faces, not only because agriculture demands so, so much water. And we've talked about uh, the water footprint of different foods in our um, sustainable diets episode, like way back, probably episode two or three or something. But it's not just how much water they use. It's also that agriculture is often a huge polluter of groundwater. Yep. As you said, groundwater runs into aquifers and that's one of our primary ways of getting drinking water. So farmers are often paid incentives, right, to produce as much crop from their land as possible. 
um, because countries want to make sure that they've got a really stable food supply. So if they're being incentivized to grow as much as they can and to really increase their yield, the way that they often do that is by using pesticides and fertilizers, two things which boost crop yield, but are really nasty when they get into the, into the water supply. As our kind of demand for food grows, unless we also look at how we're growing that food, we're also going to increase the amount of runoff and, and pesticides and problematic things that are going into our ever-decreasing water supplies. So a lot of people have been suggesting that we rethink how we incentivize our farmers and we need to build into this narrative um, of incentivizing how they look after their land as well and, and be able to actually pay and finance their practices which do look after water quality as well as the amount of food that they can yeah. produce. So, you know, because otherwise they're quite simply not going to do it of their own accord. No matter how much they love the planet, um, a lot of these farmers, you know, this is their sole livelihood, is their crops. Yeah. Well, I wonder whether, well, it's interesting with this topic, how much it reaches into and is affected by and in terms of effects. Um, other topics we've been talking about? So, I mean, when we talk mm. about food um, before, like sustainable diets, we mentioned uh, like uh, alternative farming, like vertical farming. So you wonder, yeah. that that uses less water in general, like aquaponics, for example. That's true. Um, which cycles water through. Um, so you raise fish and like water crops with the same uh, water. Um, yeah, that's and, a really uh, good way of thinking about it. It comes into other things as well. Like I've, I've, one of the uh, solutions suggested to the Cape Town water problem was to reduce uh, invasive plant species. So you've got things like eucalyptus and pine, which aren't meant to be there in, oh, right. in a lot of the areas. And they, they obviously take up a lot of water. They store water. That's what they do. Um, you can increase the wa water availability in Cape Town by 7%. It comes into uh, human-animal conflict. So if you, you, you know reservoirs or water runs dry, then in some areas, some continents, you start risking human-animal conflict because the animals move closer to humans to find water. In turn, bringing um, insects carrying disease, perhaps. Um, droughts increase the risk of wildfires. We talked about wildfires the other week. Yep. Yeah. Um, and dust storms has a knock-on effect on um, disease and illness. Um, it's pretty amazing, really. There's loads. I mean, we've talked about urban planning and flooding before um, in the sense yep, that we, we want more green space in our cities so that when rain does come, it can percolate actually into the ground. It isn't just running off concrete. That's a huge thing that they're talking about, especially in the example I mentioned earlier of the city in India. Um, a lot of it's in completely concreted over. There's very few avenues with which the limited rainwater that is coming in can actually get into the ground and kind of refill back up that aquifer. Yeah, so I've seen something called uh, demand management, which is just the idea of promoting water conservation and water efficiency across all sectors. So not just in terms of um, the service side of it, getting water to people, but also making sure that where the water is going, you're making that as efficient as possible. So like we're talking about farming practices. Mm. So I've seen things like nighttime irrigation can help uh, conserve oh, right. water and also focusing water uh watering of certain crops like directly into the roots so you really focus where it's going oh i like that mm. so there are some solutions um high-tech farming there's something yeah, so in the states as well there's also a scheme um whereby if you own land in the u.s say you are a farmer or not necessarily just a farmer if you own land you can assign a right to a local like land management trust to conserve your land and they set their own uh, water quality goals and if 
your management with them meets those water quality goals, you can receive tax breaks, basically. So although you might not otherwise be thinking about water, by dangling that carrot of a big tax break, a lot of Americans and a lot of landowners will jump at that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't um, necessarily move to solve these problems when it's not directly affecting us here today, do we? No. Until we, we're, you know, given the carrot and the stick, as you say. <laughs> there are quite a few other examples as well of where politics can get involved. It's, it's a top-down approach to looking after our water sources. So there are arguments that um, if uh, legislation was put in place that all new buildings, for example, had to require, were required to have like rainwater catchment sil- systems, that would hugely help with water demand because you could use it for things like flushing toilets or it could even be pumped directly into aquifers yeah i mean um we'll get back to this uh like more solutions like personal solutions in a second but i've seen one solution which is that we can have those in the uk as well yeah no absolutely this this has been um has been talked about actually my office does this we there we've got signs up outside our toilets that say these are flushed with rainwater so it clearly is possible like the technology is simple and there but obviously i suppose it'll be really hard to implement this across like domestic use um not everybody in the uk is going to have the money or willingness to completely you're going to change their plumbing system but if you were developing a new building or setting up an office or like a shopping mall or something something which would have huge water demand this is definitely a technology that should be included because actually that brings me on to something so a book arrived on my doorstep today i didn't know we were going to be Do doing this episode when, I, <laughs> when when somebody been said, asking for books is okay. this like yeah, yeah, sometimes people send me books. It's my favourite thing about doing the podcast. People send me books. It's great. Um, it's called Reclaim Your Shit. Um, and it's by Sarah Poppy Jackson. And it basically talks about this problem. Like, we all use drinking water to flush our toilets, which is just stupid, really. We'd, that's a total waste of water. We don't need to be yeah. using purified drinking water to flush away our waste. Um, not just that it's drinking water. We also don't need water in general to flush away our waste necessarily. We could be using that to um like fertilize crops and do all sorts and return the nutrients that we're expelling from ourselves into the soil um because as we all know we're also in a soil emergency these days um that's a thing for another podcast episode isn't it but um it's it's full of kind of interesting ideas about why on earth we use water the way we do It's, it's incredibly wasteful we've also got to talk about at some point the um enormous fluorescent elephant in the room in terms of climate change ah yes um that was a vivid image wasn't it Uh, i didn't know where you were going there but actually it makes perfect sense (laughs) so obviously we've been talking about uh water mismanagement and that's a very key cause of water scarcity but Mm. the sort of what makes everything so much harder and makes the need for better water management is climate change because quite frankly climate change disrupts the earth's water cycle quite simply it disrupts where water falls where it goes back into the sky we get flooding we get droughts um these are increased in intensity and uh the amount we get every year um because of climate change because and then it just makes water management planning so much more challenging it makes it so much more unpredictable so you don't get that reliable yearly rainfall you might get some odd years where it's like more or less but now it's just getting increasingly unpredictable 
Mm. Yeah. There is one way I've read about um, which would suit an, uh, the unpredictable. Or not, it wouldn't suit it, but it could be used in the kind of increasingly unstable and unreliable um, weather patterns that we're seeing at the moment. Um, and that's rain harvesting. Have you seen or heard of rain harvesting? No. So this is essentially a very simple way to kind of recharge aquifers. Um, so particularly in places like India, as has been my chosen case study for this episode, um, where the rain falls um, really intensely, but for short periods of time, um, and then often can evaporate quite quickly. Um, it, if communities are encouraged and individuals are encouraged to dig wells or have wells installed, like small wells, they're kind of 15 feet deep, uh, about a metre across, um, in their land and on their property, these can fill up with rainwater. And because they're so deep, the rainwater will sit there and it gives this water a chance to actually properly percolate and get into the ground itself. Um, so it's all well and good collecting rainwater on your roof for your domestic use, but we do also have to address the fact that water's not getting back into the systems on which we've always relied. So yeah. I thought that was a really neat and very simple way of just thinking, okay, look, we're standing as a barrier between nature doing its thing how do we, um, I guess, put holes in that barrier? How do we become more of a sieve as society as opposed to a plastic sheet that doesn't let anything through? Yeah, yeah. What a metaphor. What... Came up with that on the spot. But, you know... <laughs> You're a literary genius. A Pulitzer <laughs> but... Prize is on the way so soon. <laughs> but I just, I just thought that was really simple and a really interesting way of looking at it. And by doing this, um, this scheme has been trialled and it was a really good way of engaging the public with um, like how nature actually works as opposed to just thinking, ah, oh, God, the rain hasn't come, now what do we do? It's like a good understanding of, I guess, the climate and the world that they live in, which is pretty neat. That's so true. I mean, we've talked a lot then, um, we've mentioned quite a few solutions that can act more on the global and um, government level scale. So better management, um, improving the way we build, um, the way we use agriculture, uh, technological solutions, uh, doing things as simple as growing things in the right places. So moving mm -hmm. cotton and rice growth to more water rich areas. But there are there are most certainly things we can do as individuals as well, which is why this is such an interesting topic because sometimes with these environmental problems, individual solutions will do something, but it kind of it almost feels a bit futile at times. Mm. But I feel like with water, it's such an easily measurable thing. You can literally measure the amount of water you're saving. Mm. It's yeah, it's brilliant. Neat. This is something we both said before we even started re recording this, didn't we? We both said, this has been such a fascinating topic to research and we've now got so many takeaway things that we're absolutely going to start implementing in our lives. Like, oh, what one good thing have you done this week? It's just going to be water-based for the next, like, six weeks. I swear. Literally. Spoilers. Yeah. I bet you guys can't wait for that. Okay, so... So, I mean, when we talked about um, how England uh, and the UK is set to run into a water shortage within the next 25 years uh, it was basically said that people need to cut their usage by a third um that includes i should say uh, water companies are included in this so i mean even like leakages from pipes um oh gosh good one uh, about that. we can reduce leakages by 50 percent to help um and build new reservoirs and stuff blah 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 but individually there's quite a lot we can do so you were saying about making 
water wastage unacceptable, socially unacceptable. Mm. Um, and protecting those babies as well from smoke. So I found a lovely list um, on Countryfile. I think we mentioned Countryfile last time. Um, Countryfile are becoming a very episode. good resource for this I podcast. Countryfile yeah. is actually very, very easily to read. Um, and very easy to steal from for our own content. <laughs> so this list from Countryfile, it's got solutions for individuals. So first of all, we've got um, get a low flush toilet. You know, those little dual flush ones. Lovely, yes. Makes such a big difference. And uh, on that your... as well, if you can't be bothered or can't afford to install a new toilet, what you can do is place a brick or a large stone or something quite heavy and spacious inside the cistern of the toilet so that actually the amount of water that's in the cistern and then goes into every flush is less. This is something that I used to do as a teenager. That's amazing. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. When I was uh, back in the day when being a bit of an environmental hippie wasn't cool and I used to get teased for it at school, um, you could order these like um, essentially plastic bags that had sand in the bottom of them. You filled it up with water and then sealed it tight and it acted like a brick and it just sat in the bottom of your cistern. Um, and it would just, yeah, it would just reduce the amount of wow. water that you could go. So that's a, that's a little DIY life hack for you just to build on that one from Country Far. That's amazing. So another thing is check for leaking pipes in your house. Something I would never even have thought to do, but as we said, that can yeah. waste water. That's water that's going nowhere. I, I would um, imagine you'd have spotted it by now. You'd like to think so, I but suppose. But still worth checking. You never yeah. know. Just have a little look. Have a little look around your radiator, see if there's any little drippy drips. Yeah, or I guess a tap that, you know, some old taps that just don't close fully yes. and drip. They can Maybe be a real yeah. pain. Yeah, that's so true. Um, oh, I... I, I get so frustrated when I'm in work and um, they got a couple of taps, like the push-down ones, the buttons, so they'll stay on for a couple of seconds and lift up. Oh, they're the worst. I, I get they come off automatically, but, but some of them get stuck and people just leave them running full blast until someone yeah. else comes in and you have to, like, wrench them back up again. Mm. We've got a sign above our um, sink next to our coffee station at work that says, if you leave this tap running, it wastes six litres of water per hour and that's not something i put in the notes to remember that's something that i've remembered here and now because i've seen it every single day and See, it's reinforced because it's that. measurable it's a real measurable amount you yeah can measure the impact you're having yeah so we've got things here like uh, get a water efficient washing machine or dishwasher so they you can get like ratings can't you, so you get like an a rated mm. one that's going to be more water efficient yeah, um on subject dishwashers make sure it's full before you put a dishwasher wash on make the Absolutely. most of it take shorter showers that's what i've been trying to do um, so try and cut it down to like four or five minutes. <laughs> and while you're in there, pee in the shower. Fair enough. So pee you in the don't shower, go for a wee later. You can pee. No, genuinely, this is genuine yeah, advice no, I, that I read I on the internet. Completely agree. Pee in the shower. But to be fair, that does also fit with the aforementioned if it's yellow, let it mellow rule because then you're also still not flushing per pee. Obviously, not one to do at the office, but a good one perhaps to implement at home. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fair. What else you got? We were talking about earlier about getting um, like water reservoirs on your house, like water butts. So um, I got a number here, which is that enough rainfall falls on British roof to fill up a water butt around 473 times every year. So you could that use that lot. instead of using um, tap water to on your garden or your patio. You can turn off the tap when you're brushing your teeth. Quite an easy one. Sesame Street taught me yeah. that as well. Um, mm. and last but not least, run your bath an inch shorter to save around five litres of water. That's good. Kind of depends on whether you've got like a standard depth of bath that you always use, but... Yeah, I mean, it's still quite an easy one to, to do, I think. Yeah. 
No, that's good. I've also got, if you were going to boil vegetables, you mentioned that we use water quite a lot in our cooking. Um, often we boil vegetables and that's instantly a litre or so of water that's down the drain after you've nicely boiled them. Save them, freeze them, so use true. them as stock for soups or even once they've cooled down, um, throw those on your vegetables or your plants because they're full of nutrients. Anyway, it's probably not the worst thing to be feeding your veg patch with. Um, and I also read somebody who swears by turning off the shower while they wash their hair. I'm not sure if I will adopt that I can in the winter, but in the summer, that could work. Yeah. It's just little things like that. Um, and like I said, you can measure the impact you're having and it's mm. not that much effort, I suppose, a lot of these things to save up water. And like, well, like we've been saying, you need to... We all need to start thinking of water more as a precious resource, mm. which it is. And each of these things as well are really easy to implement, but also very easy to become habit. Yes, that's so true. Mm. So there we go, folks. We've given you a huge list. Let us know which of them uh, you implement. I'd love to find out if you're going to be letting it mellow if it's yellow or if you're going to, like Lloyd, try and cut down on your shower time. I'm, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not going to enjoy it, <laughs> but I will. <laughs> I'll continue to do so. Amazing. So um, if you want to get in touch with us with anything you've been doing, then we've got all the regular social media channels. So you can get in touch on our Facebook, which is... At For What It's Earth Podcast. Thank you. We've got Instagram. Which is the same, at For What It's Earth Podcast. Amazing. And Twitter. At What Earth Pod. Smashing it. Stick the landing. What's the email? It is for what it's earth pod at gmail.com and don't forget to make sure you've subscribed and to leave us a shiny little five-star review if you've enjoyed this episode which i hope you have because you've made it all the way to the end please please do amazing all right well we'll see you next week chaps see you later bye bye mm-hmm.